So our reading tonight is from Luke chapter 17, starting verse 11, can be found on page 1051 of the Bibles that you have in front of you. So Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Thank you, Jeff. Good evening, everyone. Um, when was the, uh, the last time that you said uh, thank you? Maybe it was this evening, maybe you, you got a coffee or a biscuit or something, or, or when you were handed the leaflet when you walked in the door uh, and just said thank you. Uh, maybe it was earlier today or, or whenever it was. Uh, as Lizzie said, actually, for most of us, uh, sort of thank you is something that we're, is ingrained into us, isn't it? It's a good thing to do, to, to be polite, to, to recognize that somebody's done something good for us, to say thank you. And that's a really important thing to remember and to keep doing, to, to keep saying thank you. But, but when was the last time you, you said thank you with a real deep, deep heartfelt thank you? If you were here last uh, Sunday morning, you, you, at the very end of Phil's sermon, uh, Ian Barclay read that story from his book about uh, the American soldier uh, who, who gave his life because of the British soldier who'd sort of saved him. So in response, he lived a life of thankfulness to this British soldier. Everything he had, he, he gave over to him. He was thankful. And as Christians, we've been given something that we cannot earn or deserve. So here's the, the headline uh, for this evening. Uh, if you only remember one thing, it's this. Thankless Christians is a contradiction in terms. Thankless Christians is a contradiction in terms. Or put positively, because of everything that we've been given, Christians are those that are always full of thanks. So as we uh, begin tonight, let's pray uh, for the Lord to help. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good. Uh, we thank you that it shows us who you are. And for this passage, uh, how we see something more and more of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and Father, we pray this evening, as we glimpse upon Christ again, that you may well up within us thanks that we've been adopted as your daughters and sons. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so Jesus is traveling, verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem. 
Uh, now, we've been working through Mark's gospel for a little while now, haven't we? And you might remember uh, these words uh, from Luke 9, 51. Uh, at the ti- as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, that is to say that, that Jesus uh, uh, turned his face, turned his whole being toward Jerusalem and said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Uh, not to say I'm going to go to Jerusalem and have a holiday or, or to go to have a bit of good fun. No, I, I'm going to Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, that's where I'm going to be crucified. Uh, that's where I'm going to save my people. And Jesus is on that journey. Uh, but we find out that at particular moment, that verse 11 again, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. But that's a bit of a funny way. I don't know if you can see that the maps on the screen. If Jesus was kind of going in a direct line, he'd take that sort of first one, uh, the A map. Uh, you know, you just go straight down to Jerusalem. That, that's the, the most direct way of going. But he's traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee, which means he sort of does that sort of zigzag around the outside of Samaria before coming down to Jerusalem. Now, why would he do that? Well, it's probably for at least two reasons. The first is that actually, if you are walking in a desert, it's really good to be near water. So he can quite see that, but, but they're walking along the water line. So they're always having water nearby. That, that's a, a good thing to do. But also, secondly, he was avoiding Samaria. Now, Jesus does break the mold, and we're going to see that uh, in a bit. But nevertheless, there is this tension, this animosity uh, between the Jews and the Samaritans. They don't get on. And it's almost as if Jesus is highlighting that point for the very reason that we're going to see uh, very shortly. But he's traveling along the border. And he enters this unnamed village uh, and meets uh, ten lepers. Now, we have no idea where they're from. Uh, Now, just as an aside at this point... um, when you read some of the commentators, they say there was, um, there was one, one Samaritan and nine Jews. We have no idea how many Samaritans and how many Jews there were. Uh, we have no idea what the composition was. Yes, we know from it later in the passage there was at least one Samaritan, but we don't know how many. Uh, we don't want to say it was the, the one Samaritan that turned to Jesus and the nine Jews that didn't. Uh, we've got to be very careful not to read into the text details that aren't there. So of the ten here, we don't know where they were from. Now it's likely, because it's between Samaria and Galilee, it's likely there was a mixture of Jews and Samaritans. That's probably true. There's at least one Samaritan. But let's not jump to details. When we look at the Bible, let's not jump to assumptions. Let's look at the details as we see in the scriptures and stick to them. But as I said, it's probably a fair assumption to make. At least there was some amounts. We don't know how many. Uh, Some grouping. But if there was a, a mixture... This group is united. As I said before, that the Jews and Samaritans did not get on. They were not a group that would be together. But yet, 
This group of lepers, this condition they had, that unites them. They're united by a, something greater than nationality, by their leprosy. And it's hard for us to imagine what life was like for them. Uh, that video, uh, which is taken really from Luke 5, a bit earlier on in Luke's Gospel, it does begin to help us to, to get away understanding of what it was like. That, uh, lepers would have to, to keep away from everybody. Uh, they'd have to go around shouting, unclean, unclean. And part of that was for good reason. It, it, it wasn't just a sort of a superstitious belief that they could get sick. They, they generally could. It, it was part of good practice, good hygiene, so that it wouldn't be contagious and wouldn't going on. But of course, I mean, we have some idea, don't we, of social distance, certainly more than we did two years ago. You know, two meters, keep the windows open. But with these, it wasn't sort of do what you like, just keep two meters apart. It was, no, you've got to leave your job. You can't work from home. You've got to go. You've got to leave your family, your home. You've got to go live outside of the city. And when anybody comes near you, you have to tell them to go away. Can you imagine that isolation? Somebody said that they're better defined not as lepers, but as the living dead. Those that were walking, but were, had no real existence. And here, Jesus enters the village. And they've heard of him. They, they heard uh, stories of him, clearly. Uh, uh, and from a distance, verse 12, they stood at a distance and they called out, verse 13, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And then Jesus hears them. Uh, he sees them. Uh, and he says, verse 14, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now this isn't the same as that healing in Luke 5, where Jesus goes and touches them. No, he simply says from a distance, Go show yourself to the priests. In other words, um, go to the priests, because this is what you've got to do. Uh, show that you're clean, and then after an eight-day ceremony, you can rejoin society. Uh, in other words, act as if you are clean. As you go, act as if you are clean. Now again, when we read the text, we don't know how the lepers responded. We don't know if they went, right, I'm off, let's go. Or if they went, what? Do we, should we do that? Well, we've got nothing to lose. Maybe we should. We, we don't know uh, if they were determined, just went straight at Jesus' word, or if they had a little discussion amongst themselves. But what is clear is they went. Strong or weak, they went. And as they went, they were healed. Uh, all ten were healed because they had faith that Jesus was able to make them well again. But, 
only one came back. Only one came back. Now, now, again, we could slightly understand their thinking, couldn't you? Look, they said, look, no, what we've got to do is we have to go to the priest. Jesus, we want to go and say thank you, but we have to go to the priest. That's what we've been told to do. And then once we've been to the priest, once we've done our eight days, then we can go back and say thank you. You can sort of see that, that, that reasoning in their heads. But surely, surely, if Jesus said, be clean, and they were, surely he's the one you go to first. See, that the biggest problem that those nine had was that the center of their gratitude was not God. If it had been, they would have gone straight to Jesus first. He would have been the center. But only one returns. But as he returns, do you notice he, he starts shouting again, just like he did before. Uh, this time, though, he's not shouting, uh, Lord, ha- have mercy, have pity on us. He, he, he's praising God with his voice. He's shouting about praises to God. And he's not doing it at this time from a distance. He's not shouting because Jesus is over there and he can't hear him. He's shouting because he's so overjoyed. And he comes close to Jesus, falls at his feet and thanks him for all that he's done. Now, at this point, we we don't quite know again what this leper understands. He's praising God and thanking Jesus. But whatever it is, he knows that his centre, he needs to thank Jesus, that his focus is upon Jesus. He's the one who deserves his praise and thanks. It's a, a growing belief. And so he goes. And then we get those three questions from Jesus, verse 17. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise God except this foreigner? Now, we, we don't know if at this point Jesus has, has laid aside his divine knowledge. And so he genuinely is expecting that, that all ten would come back. That's possible. Or it might be that Jesus is using these rhetorical questions to make the point. The only one that came back was the Samaritan. The one the Jews hate, to use that strong language. The outsider. The foreigner. The one who receives healing is the outsider. And when we read verse 19, rise up and go, your faith has made you well. That word well carries more than simply the sense of physical healing. It's carrying a sense of of well as in saved. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. And the one who experiences that is not the one we'd expect. 
But then Jesus does that quite a lot, doesn't he? So what then does this story mean for us? How does this story play itself out for us in our lives? Well, let's, let's walk through the story again, but, but raise the stakes up a little bit. See, of course, the big problem for the lepers was their disease. Because of their disease, it led to isolation. Isolation from each other, from, from their community they lived in, from the life they were meant to lead. They're cut off from it. They are the walking, living dead. And then if, if that's true of leprosy, how much more, how much more must it be true of sin? That sin is a, a deadly disease that is not caught by a cough or a touch, but is passed on from parent to child, which is innate to each and every one of us. Sin is a disease which means we're, we're isolated. We're isolated from the life that we were meant to lead. And by that, just think in your heads of Genesis 1 to 3. God made the world. He made it good. He made mankind, humankind, to enjoy relationship with him, to walk in his kingdom, in his garden with him forever. And then when sin entered the world, they had to go out just like the lepers out the city they are sent out isolation and cut off cast away from our maker but unlike leprosy which is stopped by death if we die in our sin its effects will still linger on as we saw two weeks ago when Don was preaching Sin is serious, sin is deadly, sin isolates, it cuts off. And so if leprosy is a living dead, how much more is it to be in sin? And in our story, leprosy could not be cured by the will of man, by power or priest, by medicine or effort. Only by the words of Jesus. And our sin, uh, likewise, cannot be cured by power or priest, by medicine or effort, but only by Jesus. Only by Jesus. And if we begin to appreciate that, if we begin to appreciate that we're, we're hopeless, we're abandoned, we're isolated, we're defeated, we're downtrodden, but Jesus says, come, I love you, you're forgiven, you're free. Nothing's going to change that. If we begin to remember that, how does it make us feel? Um, uh, some friends and the friends uh, wanted to walk Snowden. It was a lovely sunny day. And their walking style is much more like Ben Martin and Phil Moon. So they wear shorts and T-shirts. Because that's, it's a sunny day, why wouldn't you? Um, and they're walking up having a lovely time as a family, but then at Snowden, uh, the clouds came in and it got 
pretty dangerous. Uh, so dangerous, in fact, that they had to call up uh, the mountain rescue people, and the mountain rescue people had to send a helicopter. Now, I don't know about you, if that was you, or me, certainly would be me, I'd be awfully embarrassed. <laughs> I'd feel shame, I'd feel just terrible. And this is how uh, this uh, friend felt. And he just thought, look, I can't, look, I should know better, I, I, I shouldn't have done this. It's my problem. It's my mistake. I want to own my mistake. So he said, can I pay for the rescue? You know, you've had to come out this way. Let me pay for that cost. And they're like, sir, sir, you, you really don't need to do that. It's, it's completely free. That's what we do. We're here to save you. That's our job. He's like, no, no, no. I absolutely insist. He's like, okay. That'll be £35,000, please. Thank you, he said. Um, <laughs> He realized he couldn't pay. There's no way he could pay. But he wasn't being asked to. The debt was too big. He simply needed to live in thankfulness to those that saved him. Our debt is too big. We live in thankfulness to the one who saved us. Ten lepers were healed of their sickness, but only one was healed of their sin. And he came back to Jesus to say thank you. Um, Charles Spurgeon was chatting to one of his congregation, uh, who was a known chatterbox. They knew, they knew they were chatterbox. It wasn't derogatory. That's what they knew they were like. Uh, and speaking, they sort of said, oh, if, if Jesus were to save me, I would not stop telling him about it. And her words, their words, were so true. If Jesus were to save us, we could not stop telling him about it. To say, thank you. Thank you. Just to to land it further, do we thank Jesus every day? I don't know how you are when you wake up in the morning. My first thought is normally, please children, stay in bed longer. Um, or following that might be what's the curling score at the moment um, it, it's not always about Jesus but imagine if we woke up and we said our first thought was thank you Lord for this new day thank you Lord that me who cares more about curling than the gospel you save me. Thank you. Imagine how that might impact our rest of our day, that when we go down those stairs and we see our family members, how we may treat them. Why not grab one of these books, Forgiven, to help you do that? Or when we walk into work or into the school yard, how might that change who we are? Or maybe it's not in the morning. Maybe, uh, again, a bit like me, it gets to 12 o'clock and my thought is, oh, it's lunchtime, sandwich time. Maybe actually it's lunchtime we need to remember these things. Maybe you've got into a good pattern in the morning, but then by lunchtime you, you notice you're starting yourself to forget. Or maybe it's 4.30, 5 o'clock as you're, you're coming home from work, whatever time it is. 
6, 7, just reminding yourself again of, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the gift of this new day, that every single moment was in your hands because I'm your child. How can we cultivate thankfulness? Thankfulness in the big things because we've been saved by grace. And so when the little things come, when somebody opens the door for you, when somebody sings at church, does the buttons at the back, we naturally say, thank you. Thankless Christians are a contradiction in terms. How's the Lord pricking you this evening? In a moment, we've got a great opportunity to remember in our heads with our, our voices publicly and our hearts privately to say thank you how will we be thankful to our lord this week let's take a moment just on our own just for 30 seconds to say thank you Jesus, thank you. Amen.